Welcome to the Microsoft Industry Experiences Team Podcast. I'm your host, David Starr, and in this series, you will hear from leaders across various industries discussing the impact of digital disruption and innovation, sharing how they've used Azure to transform their business. You can find our team online at aka.ms slash indxp or on Twitter at industryxp. So listeners, welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be discussing the Internet of Things. This is industrial, and we're talking about real uses for it in industry, including what types of IoT data exist and how they differ, aggregating IoT data streams, and connecting data for faster insights. Joining us today on the show is Samir Kalwani. Samir is the founder and head of products at Element. Before joining Element, Samir ran product for a company that delivered a full industrial IoT solution loop for over 250 water treatment plants in India. Those solutions provided sensing and gateways, ML processing, and analytics in the cloud, and even cloud-to-edge-based control. And this was 10 years ago, back in 2008. So welcome to the show, Samir. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You bet. And we're also joined by Diego Tamburini, the principal lead for Azure Manufacturing in the Microsoft Industry Experiences team, where he focuses on developing technical content to help manufacturing companies and software developers deliver their solutions on Azure at scale. He also champions partners who deliver manufacturing solutions using Azure. So welcome, Diego. Thank you very much, David, for having me. You bet. I wonder if we could just start off, Samir, with asking you a little bit about your company, and can you tell us about it and its mission? Yeah, so Elements focuses on making industrial data incredibly easy to use in order to unlock insights never before possible. So I started Element back in 2014, 2015, basically focusing on how do we bring data science and data science capabilities to this rich industrial data. and what we found was that there's a high amount of friction between data scientists, analytics, engineers who want to have wide-scale data access to be able to do the analytics that they need to do any given day at any given time. There's a need for customers and owner-operators to want to get that data to those folks, and those folks want to be able to access that data, but there's a high level of friction in getting the data in the right context and seeing the data in the right standards and being able to actually manipulate the data and so we basically have used our software and our services to be able to bring that together into a solution to make that data a lot easier to use for engineers, analysts, anyone within the organization or external to the organization to deliver new insights that they never had before. What about that friction? What is it that you're describing when you use the word friction? One of the key things that's different about IoT data, and obviously there's many different types of IoT data, but one of the key things that, that's there with IoT data is that it's a time series data. You're actually measuring things that are happening in the real world. It's not software generated data. And so what happens is you don't know whether if I'm looking at a pump that's there at a brownfield facility that's been around since World War II, how do you actually know what sensor that, uh, that sensor is connected to? What piece of equipment is that connected to? Um, there, there's a lot of things that have happened across that entire time. 
uh, with that one sensor uh, between or with, with that one pump, for example, across those 50, 60 years of time? And how has that pump evolved? How have people changed the naming conventions? How has that pump been changed in the various turnarounds that have happened on that on that pump? And then you think about that across an entire facility, so oil refinery or mining site, and all these things have changed and evolved, and and the data is just not easy to use. And so if you bring in a, a engineer who's fresh out of their PhD and knows R and Python and wants to be able to work with that data, they have no idea about the context. They can't look at a pump versus another pump. And so you want to be able to make sure the data is easy to use, is easy for them to have that rich set of context of history of what it is today, what's going to be happening to it, and what's happened around it. Not just a time series of that sensor, but where, what's the functional location of it? Where is it in the process hazards? Who's worked on it? All these various sets of contexts are surrounding our physical world. And it's really important to create a digital representation of that physical world in order to be able to let someone get the insights that they need to get at any point in time. Element Analytics brings to the table is that it connects the dot between all this raw sensor and device data to actionable analytics. So, so there is the, this uh, realization now that okay, a lot of people have, have jumped into the IoT bandwagon and are collecting data from their devices. And uh, they, they are realizing that it's not a matter of just plugging all that data somehow into a black box that is going to start spitting insight or, or predictions. There is a lot of sausage making. IoT, even though it's essentially a big data analytics problem, is very unique in that, like Samir mentioned, it's time series data, and it comes in different formats at different frequencies through different protocols, and you don't always get what you need. Uh, say, if, you, if you're trying to, say, train a machine learning model or calculate a KPI such as OEE, you may not have the data that you need to do that. So there is a lot of sausage making again in the process, and the solutions like Element Analytics help and customers do just that. Yeah, and, and Diego, I think you're highlighting a really key piece here. So if I'm Fitbit and I manufacture Fitbit watches or Fitbit devices, I know my sensors. I have exactly the same piece of equipment that I'm selling to every single person. And it's a consumer device, and if it fails, it's okay. I can always replace it, right? When we were talking about industrials, it's a very, very different animal. So you might be putting in a um, a Raspberry Pi or a NVIDIA Jetson or something like that that's using a lot of like edge-based data collection, and that's getting sent to the gateways, and that's getting sent to the cloud. Uh, or you might be using your existing control systems and your policy and your control network and sending that data to the cloud. How do you build all that context about everything? How do you get that data into a central spot? How do you augment that, not just sensor data, with, but you also want to augment that data with all the other sorts of things that are going on about maintenance, supply chain, integrity, hazards, you name it, um, piping and instrumentation diagrams, all that into one spot so you have that full context. Then you want to be able to give the folks who are analysts that same sort of schema on read capabilities that they have with web traffic data or ask their queries immediately and get the data relevant to that query to be able to get the insights. They're using tools like Azure Databricks or Azure SQL Data Warehouse 
to be able to get the insights and then displaying those insights in Power BI or Azure ML. So what I'm hearing is there needs to be a lot of thought up front about the time series data structure and what it's going to report. But people have been recording data for a long time, and we've got a pile of brownfield data there. How useful can that be? Elements actually connecting directly to that brownfield data. So if you're keeping your data in a data historian, you have your EAM system that has all the so enterprise asset management system that has all the maintenance work orders and the functional locations of your equipment. All of that is rich, rich context about how your physical operations are, are taking place. It's important, actually, miscited to not take that information in because you don't want to just look at sensor data. You want to look at all the rich context that's there, augment that with new sensing around IoT, put that together into a form that's actually easy to use and to be able to perform analytics upon. And so that is that is absolutely critical to be bringing in all the brownfield data. And even if you're at a greenfield site and you have other sets of data that add context to it, context is key when you're talking about the physical world and wanting to do analysis on this sorts of data. And the brownfield data provides the context. The new, more structured data provides exact sensor readings that you're able to then extrapolate back in time. Yeah, exactly. So I, I would say the analogy I always like to make is like, think of the IoT devices as stethoscope. You're getting a lot more fine-grained information that you're not able to get before. So if I'm talking about a, a facility that's a water treatment plant or a an oil refinery or a mining site or a power generation plant, each of these uh, systems, each of these facilities already have a great deal of control network. So they have control systems, a DCS, a control system that's there and that's connecting to the actual equipment. Um, and it's using the sensing that's there, it's making determinations of what needs to happen. But if you want to start to add non-control data, so that's where a lot of we're seeing a lot of customers starting to add IoT data on say their tanks or things that a distributed site where you might have a gas pipeline and you want to start to have more IoT sensors there. You want to be able to pull all that information in, in addition to your control data, and get that to the cloud so that way you're able to do fleet-wide reporting or do what-if analysis or do predictions on failures or whatever, or optimizations. All of those things are now possible where you're not making decisions just with data, but you're using data to enable decision-making for the user to be able to make the right things happen at the right time, to be able to reduce operational hazards uh, significantly. At that water company that you mentioned in my introduction, we reduce maintenance costs by 60% because of the ability to do machine learning and analytics and in, in helping our field service workers actually be able to get insights from data to be able to make the right action at the right time, knowing what equipment to bring with them when they're acting on, on these new insights. So Samir, uh, one question in the specific to customers that want to use machine learning on IoT data. I mean, I've heard that, that a lot of the, the roadblock, if you will, is that there is not enough data science expertise uh, to go around. And, and figuring, figuring out, selecting the right machine learning algorithm and, and tweaking it with the right parameters is not trivial at all. So how do your tools help uh, address that problem for, for those who don't necessarily have a data scientist in-house? 
My recommendation for a lot of folks is to think about analytics as not a maturity model or think of it as a capability model. You want to increase your capabilities in being able to deliver analytics to your organization. So just like with industry 3.0, when we had automation and control come in to help add a new capability to industrials, analytics and data and the digital capabilities are a new capability. You need to think about that starting to increase its slope and in, in your ability to uh, adopt it. The machine learning is sort of further along in that capability model. My re initial recommendation is for folks to stop, stop looking at data in a sensor by sensor basis and compare a temperature sensor at one place versus a temperature sensor another place or look at one piece of equipment or one process. Look at the fleet. And so what you need to do there is basically standardize all your pumps based off of functional location or based off of make and model, whatever it might be, but at least get all your pumps or whatever, pick your target equipment type and start to standardize that. And so that way you can start to benchmark things and see, okay, what is my pump efficiency across the entire fleet? Why is this group worse than the others? And you can start to ask questions about that. So get your data into a fully contextualized, standardized model. And that's what we call descriptive analytics. The second stage in the analytics journey is around what we call diagnostic analytics. So start to label your data with key pieces of information about what's happened when. So if you start to say, well, I'm starting to see on these pumps, there's a frequently occurring failure, maybe once a week or every month or so, there's a failure on this one pump. Can we start to diagnose what's going on right before that? Because once you have that labeled information in your time series, you can now start to say, okay, well, let's look at what's going on in the maintenance activities, what's going on in the operator round activities, what happened right before that issue so that we can diagnose these issues using data, not just a fishbone diagram, but using data to help understand why this is happening. Then the third step is around what I call predictive analytics. And so that's where machine learning starts to come into play. You have a high sense of data quality. You have standardized contextualized data. You have labeled data. Now what you can start to do is say, okay, well, if I know what's going on in this data set and I have enough statistics, either history or a lot of like equipment, now I can apply machine learning to be able to, to tackle that. And yes, a lot of folks might not have data scientists, but folks like Element and many other service providers are able to provide data scientists as a service to be able to have that. But data scientists can't tackle this unless the data is in the right form. And there's a frequently mentioned statistic that Harvard Business Review said that saying 80% of the time in getting to machine learning or AI is around getting the data ready. That's only one part of the equation. There's also parts of the equation which says that you need to have the right infrastructure in place. There's other parts of the equation that say that you need to make sure that the data is actually in a form that people can even understand. And so you have to be able to solve those issues before you can even start to think about or bringing on data scientists to solve your problems. And we haven't even mentioned yet that you have a product that lives in this space, Graph Studio. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the Graph Studio is all about connecting to all these different brownfield data sources and new IoT sources to be able to bring all that data together and to help folks be able to create that digital model of the physical environment, or many people call it the digital twin. So you encode all the physics into the model, you encode all the people who are working on that, on the equipment, 
you start to create a full, fully standardized, fully contextualized model of the data. And on top of that, you start to assure the data integrity. So making sure the data model is accurate, making sure the unit of measures are highly consistent and converting those if they need to be converted, identifying where there's bad signals in the data. Um, so things that are null, miscalibrated, noisy, identifying all that. And we're constantly checking that so we can make sure that we're able to maintain the data model. So if things get moved around or things get replaced, the data is up to date. We keep that history as well and then expose that out into a data lake. So we put that onto Azure Data Lake. And then from there, customers are able to bring in Databricks, SQL Data Warehouse, Power BI, Azure ML. And because the data is in Azure Data Lake, you can now bring in the fancy data science tools. You can also bring in the basic BI tools, any sort of, or if you just want to do SQL queries, you're able to pull that information off of that data because you can create the schemas of whatever an insight you want to go off after. What we're seeing it with customers is that everyone want, has, when they're thinking about analytics, it's not just one use case. Today it's one use case, but tomorrow it's going to be thousands of use cases. And how do you make sure that your organization and your IT capabilities are able to feed all of those insights that need to be driven, be able to let your newly minted engineers ask Python queries, ask R queries, uh, be able to do all the various analyses that they need to do, you need to make sure the data is ready for that. And so this Graph Studio really helps organizations get that data into that standardized contextualized model for getting those levels of insights. So the data is stored on Azure Data Lake. And in addition to that, the Graph Studio produces a graph database that lets you easily slice and dice the data on Azure Data Lake. So you have the context around where to pick and pull the data uh, that's stored in the raw format from all those source systems that we we're pulling from. So the data is stored on Azure, and folks are able to ask the queries that they need to in order to be able to get the insight that they need. So once the data is there, do you then leave it up to the customer to come to the data itself and put whatever reporting mechanisms on top of it they want? So yes and no. Some customers are more mature in their digital capability and their digital transformation. Um, and so they might want to be more self-serve. Other folks, this is their first set of steps in this uh, analytics journey. And so we have a set of folks who are focused on making sure that that deployment goes well, that they're able to utilize the technologies on Azure accessibly. The other sets of areas that we have is that we have folks who are focused on more of the analytics piece. So if you're looking for data science help or or machine learning help, or whatever it might be, just pulling things into Power BI. We want that to be self-serve. So we are, we're here to be teaching folks how to fish. Uh, we have a model where we basically let folks go through. We will be a player for them, then we'll be a player coach, and then we'll coach them to make sure that they can be self-running in, in this whole new analytics environment. And then we also have a set of folks that are much more strategic in focus and say, okay, maybe we're helping build this discipline of analytics in one part of the organization, let's start to push it out to other parts of the organization and make sure that people are much more self-serve and, and can get this spread across the organization to not just work within one geographic unit or the downstream part of your uh, oil and gas organization, but let's move that to other BUs and become much more of an analytically driven organization going forward. And so it truly changes the culture of the company, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, when you talk about digital transformation, you need to be thinking about 
like any other transformation, when you think about change management, when you think about change management, there's technology changes, there's organizational changes, and there's process changes. Yes, our software can help you with the technology pieces, but you need to be thinking about this more holistically. And so we have a set of delivery services that we provide to make sure that we can help folks go down that analytics journey going forward. The most of our folks on our team have done this in the ad tech industry. As we all know, that's been uh, massively transformed. The commerce industry, so e-commerce now being a big thing, they know how to deal with the digital transformation there. And so they're helping guide now the industrial folks. And we also have a set of industrial-focused services folks who know that area, so they know the business questions that are there and are taking that design thinking approach and 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 the machine learning approaches that are being used in other industries and applying it. So not to go too far on a tangent, but you guys are actually using design thinking in your solutions? Yes, yes. I actually read quite a few of those. So uh, we, we usually help folks go through a design thinking workshop. Uh, so that could last between one to one day to three days, uh, depending on the scope of, of the organization and what they're looking at. What we typically do is we go through a process of identifying uh, what the use cases are. So there's things of just a lot of post-it notes, getting things, ideas on the whiteboard, making sure that we're bringing in people from the business side, from the IT side, from the OT side, and making sure that there's a full alignment that's there. And then making sure there's some sort of executive who's sponsoring this and saying, this is something that we need to go down and pursue. And then what we do from there is we usually from the everyone just throwing up post-it notes, we can come up with 50 plus use cases in about a half hour period. Um, and then we go through a process of whittling that down and saying, well, what are the low hanging fruit that we can go after? Um, and so we usually get down to about 20 or so. And then we go through a set of criteria saying, all right, is this the right thing that we should be going after right now? Do we have the data availability today? Do we have the right people in, in on board with this? All those sorts of checkpoints that need to happen, make sure that there's proper alignment. We go through a value modeling exercise. Um, and then we also go through what we call crazy eights, which is where everyone starts to sketch up what they want that solution to look like from a visualization standpoint or a process standpoint, whatever it might be. And then we start to say, okay, well, let's pull in on these two or three ideas. Let's start to get some organizational buy-in and then narrow that down into one idea that we're going to go off and, and tackle. We go through that process with new customers and even with production customers, we do that sort of checkpoint every six months and say, okay, well, what are the what are the objectives that we have for the next six months? What are the key results and what are the actual tactical items that we need to go off and get done in order to achieve that? And so it's actually really helpful for folks to keep pushing along the analytics journey using design thinking as an approach to bring the best ideas up to the top and percolate those so we can go off and tackle them and, and make sure that we're pushing forward on this capability. That's fantastic. I'll put links to the Stanford program for design thinking in the show notes. That's where a lot of that has come from our side. We have quite a few folks from the D school uh, on the team here. Could you tell us a little bit more about the, on the, on the data ingestion side. So I understand that Graph Studio helps customers like, do data joinings and digital twin mappings. On the data ingest side, how close to the device do you get? And 
and uh, what assumptions do you make as to I mean the protocols they speak and the way they tag data? Uh, can you elaborate on on that side uh, closer to the to the where the the rubber meets the road, if you will? Yeah, so we actually only connect to systems, systems being like an enterprise asset management system or a process historian. We're not connecting to the actual edge devices or the gateways directly. Ah. Someone has a new, a new set of Raspberry Pis, and they want to send that to their gateway uh, and then put that into IoT Hub, uh, go for it. And then we'll connect to IoT Hub and pull that information in. Yeah, if you already have a data historian or a process historian like the OSI Soft Pi system or Honeywell PhD or Aspen Tech IP21 or Schneider Wonderware, I can go through the whole long list of them. Uh, we can connect to those systems Directly. as well. Okay, but that, that actually ans answers my question clearly uh, that you, you assume that when it comes to IoT, telemetry, or, or data or records, you start from, from the Azure IoT hub. That's where you pick up that data and you focus on what happens to the data from that point onwards. Exactly, exactly. Our, our take on it is that there's a lot of uh, folks building out sensing and devices and hardware or gateways to be able to push that data to the cloud, and that's great, and there's enough sort of use cases around that. Um, and then there's lots of folks who are doing bespoke analytics for specific use cases around... Uh, stick slips for oil and gas drilling or whatever it might be, and that's great as well, and they can be applied models. But connecting the data and the context of everything that's going on at the edge, not just one sensor, but everything and not just one piece of equipment, but the whole process, the whole facility, it's all in context. Things are upstream of each other and downstream of each other within a process, and we need to make sure whether that's manufacturing, power generation, oil and gas, whatever it might be, all of that is all these things working together, and you can't just look at one manufacturer's analytical application or one sensor package's analytical application. you got to look at the whole thing in context, and so we're yeah. bringing all that data together to make sure that you can go off and tackle this one or two use cases, but also look at the thing in a broader scale as well. I'd love to keep going with this, but I'm afraid we've reached the end of our time, so I want to thank Samir and... Diego, very much for joining the show today. I appreciate it, you guys. It's been very informative for me. Thanks for the time, guys. I really appreciate it. These are great questions, and, and I'm happy to maybe come back some other time or something, whatever it might be, to, to help answer anything else that comes up. Yeah, and thank you, Samir, for your insight. Yeah, it was great, great chatting with both of you guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Microsoft Industry Experiences Team Podcast the show that explores how industry experts are transforming businesses with Azure. Visit our team at aka.ms slash indxp. And don't forget to join us for our next episode.